I am so excited to introduce our guest today. He is a writer, comedian, father, immigrant, and an award-winning actor. Our guest has won the Canadian Screen Award for the Best Lead Actor, and he is now the host for the CBC show Canada's Smartest Person Jr. He plays your favorite father on the hit show that you love to binge. Our guest today is Paul Sun Hyung Lee, the actor who plays Appa on Kim's Convenience. In this episode, Paul talks about his failures and successes in his career, how he got to Kim's Convenience, and what it means to be an Asian actor in the entertainment industry today. Be aware, this episode contains strong language. This is Postal Code Chronicles, and I'm your host, Matt Falk. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. Was it like difficult to commute on the train because you're so famous in Toronto? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, you know, I always get a kick out of. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm oblivious. My wife notices it when we're walking down the street. Generally speaking, a lot of people are very polite. And they'll look or they'll do the double take, but they're uh, really afraid of approaching uh, for whatever reason. You know, it's the, I, I didn't want to intrude or you look busy or, you know, it's just one of these things. And I'm always like, no, say hi. You can always say hi, right? Um, uh, so I'm, I'm kind of oblivious to it, but I still don't believe so much. So like people would, <laughs> would want to meet me or, or would like recognize me still. Uh, it's more and more now since the show hit Netflix. But, uh, you know, but I've been an actor now for like close to 25 years. And I've been, I'm used to being totally obscured and overlooked. And so now, you know, the fact that people are, are, are and they do, it happens a lot, you get stopped and people talk about you. It's really cool because it means they're watching the work and they like the work and they think enough of you to stop you. But it's still really weird because I'm not used to that at all. Um, and I still can't quite wrap my head around uh, this, this whole thing. I mean, people say that I'm a celebrity, but I just think right now I'm just, in the you know public eye and popular but like all things it all wanes and it, it comes and it goes so i try to stay grounded about that because people some people um if that becomes a normal and they get used to it right when it stops happening and it will stop happening it's going to mess them up so okay yeah um, hopefully <laughs> hopefully our listeners who hear this aren't don't go uh don't see this as permission to maul you. On yeah, the no, yeah, for a no, it's, and it's, that's awesome. Like, I, I love it. Um, it is always uh, f- f- one of the big things about Kim's Convenience, um, and I think for all the performers on the show is we are accessible and we're open, you know, within limits. I mean, yeah. you know, if I'm having dinner with my family or if I'm, you know, disciplining my child on the street or something like that, maybe that's not the best time to come up and say, "Hey, can I get a selfie with you?" Um, but for the most part, if you're just walking down the street, you know, we're not going to bite your heads off or anything. But the cast, which is what I love, is we are all very open. We're very grateful and very thankful uh, the fact that people like the show enough to, you know, uh, mention us on social media or come up to us and want their picture taken with us. It's very flattering. And uh, it's, I think, you know, one of the least things we can do because without the audiences and with the fans, we don't have the show. That's really awesome. I love that connection. Uh, we were worried that we were having at the library and it's during exam season that a bunch of students would like run up to you <laughs> and like be at the window of no. our... Yeah. <laughs> no, maybe Simu. <laughs> maybe Simu. So before we talk about your work and the show and everything, 
Can we talk a bit about Paul as a child? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, where did you grow up? What kind um, of childhood did you have? I had a good childhood, I think. Uh, we I was born in Korea, um, in Daejeon, which is a, a small city just outside of Seoul. And But when I was three months old, we moved, uh, we immigrated to Canada. And my parents immigrated to London, Ontario. And uh, I was we were there for a few years. I remember, I mean, up until junior kindergarten, maybe we were there. Uh, I distinctly remember peeing my pants while we were playing <laughs> on the flagpole out in front after school. So yeah. I remember that walk of shame home when you got, you know, the heavy, yeah. Yeah. wet, cold pants. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember that. And that was, that was definitely junior kindergarten. I played yeah. too long and too hard. Yes. Uh, and then we moved to Scarborough, Ontario. Okay. Um, actually, no, we had, um, yeah, at the corner of Sherburne and Wellesley, um, my grandfather owned that building there. And there was uh, a convenience store there called the Shea Lee. And we lived above that for I don't know how long. But we there was a time where my parents ran the store and we lived above it. And uh, for a couple of years, maybe. And then we moved to Scarborough. Um, and we lived up there. And then we moved out to Calgary uh, in 1977 uh, during the oil boom. And we stayed out in Calgary. Uh, and, you know, growing up was, um, you know, I don't don't remember it being particularly arduous as a child. I mean, there were some instances where it was tough because both of my parents needed to work when we were younger. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my, my sister and I were latchkey kids because back then you could leave your kids alone. Uh, under a certain age, right? Yeah. And uh, they did the they tried the babysitter angle, but that really didn't work out. Um, Why didn't it work out? Uh, the uh, we had this Canadian woman. She was looking after us, and she was kind of abusive. Oh, okay, um, yeah. Like it was like uh, all sunshine, lollipops. When my parents dropped us off, right. but, like as soon as we left, um, she was a different person. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't physical abuse. It was a lot of verbal abuse and like threats of of violence in that sense and uh, it was a very frightening time i don't talk about it too much I, I just started talking about it recently um but it was like it sort of came to a head because i remember uh she had somebody somebody knocked on her door and she like she was like go hide i'd have to hide every time somebody came to the door and uh in the living room they had these uh, i remember these these thick heavy drapes and it would hide behind the drapes uh, against the wall and I'd, I'd be there for a while um yeah, so that wasn't cool, and so my parents didn't didn't uh, didn't keep us there after they found out. And they found out because my sister and I we were having dinner, and my sister and I took our plates and we went from the table to the to the boot room yeah. where people took the sh the shoes and stuff, and we, we'd sit down and eat there. And they were like, well, "Why are you eating there?" I said, "Well, this is where we have to eat when we're at the the sitter's place type thing." So, yeah, that wasn't cool. But I mean, that was I mean, when you're a kid, and you don't know any better, right? It's just sort of like. You know, it is, it's what kids are amazingly resilient and just, you know, they don't think it's really, they don't think umbrage, they don't think personal offense about stuff like that. Like if an adult tells you to do it, just do it, which is why I think sometimes it's easy to exploit children um, because they don't question that. Uh, but uh, yeah, so there's that. But, um, you know, for the most part too, I mean, I learned how to speak English by watching television because like after that, TV was my babysitter. Yeah. Right? Yeah, same. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> what was your favorite television show? Oh at God, the time? so many. Um, I was particularly fond back then of the Looney Tunes, Space 1999, Star Trek, Electric Company, Sesame Street, um, you know, Gilligan's Island, uh, Lost in Space, The Rifleman. Like if it was on, it like, and it was telling a story, I would watch it. Yeah. 
Um, and I loved all the different genres and uh, just losing myself in, in all that stuff was just um, fantastic. The television became kind of like the babysitter, like your parents oh, yeah. would sleep and then... Yeah, absolutely. It was like, oh, he's causing trouble. Turn on the TV. <laughs> like my parents, I remember them saying they would hear me wake up at five in the morning. Really? Yeah, and I'd turn on the TV and I'd, I'd watch uh, Tales by the Riverside with Hammy the Hamster and GP the Guinea Pig and stuff. And they, I, I would watch that and Hercules and Spider-Man. Um, the animated Spider-Man and stuff. And so, like, I would just keep myself quiet. And that was sort of, that gave them the break that they need because it worked so hard, right? For parents out there, uh, if you want your child to be uh, an actor, <laughs> a successful actor, just make them watch TV at five. Well, but who knew, <laughs> yeah. right? Who knew that's, that, that's what would happen? So when did you kind of find out that you want to be an actor? Was it during while you're watching? Was it later no, in teen years? Not till university. I, I stumbled upon acting like quite by accident. Um, you know, all through school, it's immigrant parents. What are you going to do? Yeah. Doctor, lawyer, engineer. Doctor, lawyer, engineer, right? Sciences, math, all that stuff, all the fun stuff. And I found um, around junior high, I peaked. And uh, in terms of my interest in the sciences and the math, it just wasn't doing it for me anymore. Yeah. And uh, the more complex it got, the more stubborn I became in terms of not wanting to do the work because it's just if you're not passionate about something it's really really hard and especially if somebody else is pushing you to be passionate about something you're not and that's what my parents are doing uh they enrolled me they got me we switched schools um in high school and I was supposed to go my feeder school was supposed to be St. Francis my sister went there all my friends were going there but my parents actually pulled up stakes and they moved to a different community so I could go to a different school. So it was in Churchill High School because it had an international baccalaureate program in there. And so they moved. I got into the program and I hated it. Like, I loved the, the students were great. Um, my classmates were great. Just hated the subject material. Um, you know, the physics was kicking my ass and chemistry. And I was like, are you kidding me? Um, but it backfired because in the humanities, social sciences, um, world history, English, literature, all that stuff really caught my eye. And it was all about when I was reading about stories or hearing stories, um, you know, that's what really interested me. And in, in, the, in the IB program, we were given free reign in terms of presentations in this and that. So I was able to delve into tap into that creative side of me that was that I was just itching to sort of let loose. And um, yeah, so I ended up dropping out of full IB and into partial. And I dropped all the sciences and stayed in all the humanities, basically. And uh, yeah, so when I graduated, it was time to go to university. Uh, I came here, actually. U of T is my alma mater. I was at uh, UC College. And, uh, you know, you have to pick your courses. And I was sort of looking at it going, oh, what do I want to do? And initially, um, I wanted to write. I wanted to be a writer. I had applied to Carleton University for the journalism program. Got in there. York University. I got in there in U of T. And I picked U of T because my girlfriend was coming here at the time, right? So I was like, oh, I want to be with her. I want to be with her. Um, yeah. And, you know, I need to get away from my parents because we're in Calgary. And I was like, oh, just finally, I'll just be free. Yeah. And um, I had to pick some courses. And I'm looking at the syllabus and it's like, well, drama program, what's that? And I read a little bit about it and I thought, what? Sounds like fun. That sounds like whatever. Who cares? Because um, I got first year credit basically because of the IB program. So I could just sort of, the first year could be a little bit loosey-goosey. Yeah. I wasn't going to like charge ahead and go, wow, I've saved, I shaved an, an extra year off of, you know, my, my university career. I'm just going to, I was just like, no, I'm going to take it easy. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Um, so I picked it. 
And uh, there was an audition process to get in. I'd never had to audition before for it. What did um, you use for your audition? Well, here's the thing. It was, a, it was more of a group workshop oh, to get in, right? Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm in Toronto, first time here. Uh, hated the weather. First person we met yelled at us. Um, I saw, you know, uh, panhandlers on the street for the first time. The city downtown was, was filthy. Uh, well, actually, no, it was pretty clean. It's Toronto. Dirty. <laughs> I don't know. That, but that's like, that's in your head, right? From the, the prairie and, yeah. to the big city, right? So we're here and it's like this big group workshop and I go in and it's over at um, UC College in the basement in one of the halls. And um, it was, there were all these white kids and they were all, they'd all obviously taken drama before. Um, and so they had their shoes off and they were stretching and doing all these things i'm like i don't know what what's going on so i just sort of you know went in rome right you take off your shoes you start doing the soccer stretches it's like i don't know why i need to stretch but maybe i better be ready and we proceeded to do these theater exercises right now if anybody's ever gone to theater school a lot of these exercises are supposed to be oh you know keep you grounded or connected and you do this it's all malarkey i'm sorry (laughs) theater school those are make busy exercises no, I'm, I'm being harsh. Do you stretch um, on the set of Kim's Convenience? Yeah, all, all the time. <laughs> on my cot, you know, in my room. As I reach for another Diet Coke, I'll, I'll reach, I'll stretch. Um, no, I mean, it's, it, it is. There, there is a method to that. There is, depending on when you... And when you're a student, it's awesome. Because you do, you have to start to get to know your body. But that's cool for about five minutes, right? And then it starts to feel like summer camp. And... What also gets me is how precious people get. We're artists, and we're going to do our warm-up, and we're going to clap focus, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and oh, aren't we artistic, and aren't we actorly? And I, for me, it's like, can we get to the work? Because this is great, but we have a whole separate movement. Anyways, I'm digressing. I do that a lot. No, no, no worries. No worries. We have a lot of time. <laughs> so, yeah, how many hours do you have? Okay. Um so I, that's what I did. It was I went in. I tried to blend in. Uh, we did all these theater exercises that I honestly didn't know what the point of was. Uh, and then we did this one set of exercises that the UC Drama program back in the day. I don't know if it still is, but uh, Ken Gass was the head instructor for the 200 classes, the introductory introduction to acting. And anybody who had Ken. Um, in first year, would know what I'm talking about when he said we had to do transformations. Now, transformations is a uh, theater theater school exercise where literally you're lining up against all against one side of the room, and you have to move across the room with a movement accompanied by a sound. So you would go, blum, ha, blum, ha, and at each step, yeah, and it's it's just it's exactly what it sounds like. Your your movement evolves or transforms, and your vocal quality changes as well. So by the time you get to the other end of the room, it's a completely different sound and a completely different motion. Wow, just you know when 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 you're 18 years old, you're in a new city surrounded by a bunch of white kids doing something. You you know you thought well I I thought this was the theater program. What what is this? I thought I was surrounded by crazy people everybody was insane and i thought i don't know if i want to do this because <laughs> if this is what it, this i pay i'm paying for this right yeah oh and by that point i was just and i felt stupid and i felt like i was doing it wrong and i felt like i just didn't belong and we ended up in a big group circle and we did the only 
actorly sort of thing, in my opinion. It's the only thing I remember of the entire afternoon was Ken gave us all a line, the same line. And we had to say, what a horrible, miserable, rotten day. And we had to come into the center of the circle and we all had to deliver that line. And one at a time we would do it and had kids who were just, just acting their guts out and, you know, different takes of it. And I was just beside myself. I wanted to leave. I felt angry, embarrassed, humiliated. And I, in my head, it's like, I'm not going to get in. I'm not like these guys. Why am I here? So I went in with it. I was just, it was not acting. It was just being. And I said it with such venom. I was so mad. And I was staring right at Ken. And then I spat on the ground. And I walked out. And um, I got an interview for the next stage <laughs> to go on. Because that's what they do. They call the group, right? Because there's like 40, 50 kids. And they whittle them down and whittle them down. And I ended up getting a, an interview with Ken and Pia Claver who was then the head of the uh, UC drama program and, you know, uh, much to my surprise and went in and just, I had zero experience. What's Nothing. the next step after spitting? Is this vomiting? Yeah, <laughs> no, it's just, just <laughs> leaving and just going, you know, why am I here? And like yeah. seriously sitting down and considering life choices. Um, yeah. But, uh, and I got into the drama program, uh, but I, you know, looking back at it, I think now as well, there was a push in terms of, you know, inclusivity. There had they, you couldn't have an entire class of just white students, mm -hmm. right? And in that, um, you know, I might not have been as experienced. Uh, you know, I might have had like a, a bad attitude towards the work, but I think Ken. I, I like to think that Ken saw something in me that he could try to shape or work with. There's enough raw material there that he could, uh, you know turn this this lump of mud into into a nice vase or something like that and um yeah so i got into the program and i always say this to, to a lot of uh, young actors of color it doesn't matter how you get that opportunity it's what you do with that opportunity and i was terrible like at the beginning i just cause I had no skills right i didn't know anything about anything i didn't know um how to project my voice i didn't know how to stay grounded how to deconstruct a scene to stay in the moment um you know it, all these things that you don't you know that actors do it's part of the craft that you don't realize because um you know growing up i just thought oh acting's easy you memorize these lines and you just say them right you pretend and it's so much more than that right um and i didn't get that but i was excited when i learned that it was more much more to it and that's when i got hooked you know right at that moment the first few classes with ken were were exhilarating like humbling um, but it was just something that I found I was really, really passionate about. And I thought for the first time ever, I think this is what I want to do. I think I can do this. And that's when I poured myself into it. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, in my brain, I'm picturing um, Paul, young Paul, teenage Paul in Calgary. Yeah. Rebellious. No. Like, screw the IB program. <laughs> 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 no, not at no. all. And then yeah. follow my girlfriend to UFT. <laughs> I guess I'll do this acting thing. Yeah, no. You make, <laughs> you make me sound so much more badass than I actually was. I was a nerd in high school, man. I was in the IB program. And it's like, you know, Asian kids, they either, they go two ways if they're going to rebel. They go full out like you, you just said. Like full out, like I'm going to dye my hair. I'm going to get piercings or tattoos or whatever. Or it's just like you learn to live a double life. So in front of your parents, it's yeah. like, yes, everything's great. Yes, yes. And you're super polite and kind. But when you're with your friends, you're somebody else. And that was kind of me. Um, 
and you know we i was yeah part of the nerd program so we were i was we were all nerds and uh, you know i i was lucky enough to be a popular nerd in a nerd group right so yeah. we were there and you made like we never mingled with the with the normals right yeah. the, the popular cool kids we were but we had our own little sort of um little group of friends that you know i still friends with with quite a few of them today um and so, yeah, and so, like, going away was just sort of like, a, you learn to be really passive in terms of your resistance, right? It's just, like, how to resist without seeming like you're overtly resisting and still just trying to find your way. So that that was, I mean, my parents were were not happy with what I was choosing, but they couldn't really do anything about it because my marks were good enough. And <laughs> it was just like, yeah, you know, I'm going to do it. About this double life, after, like, you know, listening to other, you know, minority actors speak, yeah. Um, a lot of them said that they have their own coming out story to okay. their parents about not doing something in STEM, about doing becoming an actor. Oh, okay. How did your parents kind of react to that? Um, well, they knew earlier on, uh, before I even left Calgary, that I had applied for the drama program and I wanted to get in. And my mom was, <laughs> she was very like, oh, you mean you want to go and you want to learn acting so you can teach acting you're going to be a teacher that's the only way she could sort of get her head around it and said no i want to act she's like huh she got really worried she didn't say anything and my dad said nothing nothing just i knew he wasn't happy but he didn't say anything i'll give my credit my, my parents a ton of credit in that way they never really like once i made up my mind to go, kind of go off that branch there was never any real overt resistance Partly because I was paying my own ticket to get to university, right? Like I'd gotten a scholarship. They weren't contributing a lot of money towards it. And it was kind of like, well, we're not paying for it. So, you know, how can we tell him to do this or that? I mean, for sure, as a parent now, I look back at it and I see my kids and I would say, you know, spend your money on better things, kiddo, right? But, um, you know, they were, they were cool enough to sort of let me go my way. I did have a huge argument with my dad. Uh, in third year university, actually, about my my life choices. And uh, I didn't realize, like we were talking, I, I was back home. Uh, they moved out to, to Toronto uh, a couple of months after I came out to came out here. They sold everything in Calgary and they moved out here. That's nice. And, yeah, yeah, and my girlfriend really nice. dumped me about a month after. So I'd oh, lost no. my girlfriend and my parents came out. So I was pretty much ground zero back in toronto so just just so you know folks uh kids whoever's listening out there your parents do have the ability to follow you just be aware of that um so yeah so my dad and i had uh we had this big huge argument about what i was doing with my life and i you know i said you don't know what i'm doing you don't know what i'm learning at school you have no idea what it is to be an actor and that's when it came out that my dad's older brother was an actor in korea i didn't know this um, my dad's older brother died when my dad was 53, had a heart attack and died. And my dad didn't find out till two weeks after because our family in Korea didn't want to bother him, didn't want to burden him because they were like, well, what are you going to do? He's dead. Uh, and that devastated my dad because he adored his older brother. Um, and his older brother was an actor, a good actor, but he died penniless. You know, he was owed a lot of money. He was, you know, was always doing favors, always doing this, always do, overextending, lending money when he shouldn't have been doing it. He drank and he smoked and he did all these things. And my dad was so petrified that that's what's, what was going to happen to me, that I would die an early death penniless um, and leave family behind. And it wasn't until then 
that it suddenly clicked in. It was like, oh, this is why all the resistance. This is why. And it, it just sort of, it was a really, really great moment of clarity. And it, and it was epiphany for me. Um, you know, and, it's, and you know, you know, your parents love you, but Asian parents have a very difficult time expressing that. And it was then that I sort of went, oh, he does really, really like I always knew it. But that was for me, just, that was just like the extra reminder. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was like, OK, OK, understood. So I was able I was old enough to be able to articulate my own thoughts around that. say, so, you know, the industry here is different. Um, it's going to be different. Trust me. Just like trust me. Trust the fact that you guys raised me to be smart. So. And uh, when I booked my first um, TV gig, it was like a movie of the week. And I got 10 days on it, which is a lot, a lot of days. And uh, my first, first of many paychecks from that gig was for like 5,000 bucks. I'd never seen, I'd never had a check yeah. with that many zeros in it before. You know, it's like, I was like, oh my God, I've done it. I've done it. And I wrote the check I gave to my parents. And I said, this is for you. So don't worry, there's more coming. I've earned more, but this is for you to show you. Well, first to say thank you, uh, but also to show you that I can make a living doing this. I just got to be smart, but here it is. So that really sort of put them at ease. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it, it was a little bit silly. It was a little bit naive of me as well, because that that role that I booked wasn't really indicative of how it was always going to be. I thought that's how it's always going to be. I'm always going to be booking big gigs like this and working tons. And so I'm always going to have money coming in. And it's like, no, no, no. That was a really, really uh, big role for me to land. Uh, but what I learned later on is sometimes, especially if you're Asian back then, few and far between, mm. you know? And so like work, it ebbs and it flows. Mm. And like it, for me, it, it, I was on a high point. And little did I realize that a few months down the road, I was going to hit a low point and I wasn't going to be working for like a year. So, yeah. So let's talk about some of these low points. Yeah. You've been working as an actor for, like you said, 25 years? Yeah, you close said. to 25, yeah. In that 25 years, um, was there moments where you thought that, man, this isn't really cut out for me? Like even after a degree, you're thinking like, this is really hard. Like, were there moments like yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, you know, we all have these dark moments where nothing just seems to be going right. You know, you're trying, you're trying, you're trying, you're banging your head on the wall, you're going, why, why am I not booking stuff? Why, why is my life not, like, why am I single? Why, why all these different things? And, you know, when you're low, it's really easy to kick yourself and go even lower. Um, you know, wallowing in self-pity and despair. It's good for a little bit. I mean, we all gotta do it a little bit, but it's when you get too comfortable there and then that becomes your reality, that's when it's a, a problem um you know we all struggle and that's just life um but for me i guess i mean i keep saying this i was always too stupid and too stubborn to quit you know i always i guess back somewhere back in the back of my head i always thought you're gonna work it'll work out i don't know how but just keep at it and that means sometimes you got to do things you don't want to do like get two jobs work at places that you don't want to work at, you know, like I was, um, I, I was a waiter for three whole weeks at one point, hated it, hated it, and, but learned, okay, I'm making money at this, but this is really making me unhappy, so find a different job, 
right? And then it's the struggle of trying to find a job that's flexible enough so that you can run off and get that audition. Or if you book something that you're cool, they're cool enough to let you have that time off. And everybody comes with these to these choices of like, well, what do I want to do? Do I want to do my Joe job or do I want to act? And at some point, you got to have to make that jump. And, um, you know, uh, it's a different story for everybody. Some people, they just commit to acting and they go for as long as they can and as hard as they can. And there's some great stories. And But ultimately, sometimes they're like, this is unsustainable. I got to, I need some stability in my life. Um, I always kind of felt like I grew up financially. Uh, my parents... Um, we're always great providers, but we always, money was always a bit tight, right? So I was always used to that, yeah. you know? So it's like, nah, you find a way, right? And I could learn that from my parents. Like, oh, we'll find a way. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, uh, there are moments where I, I just thought, well, what the hell am I going to do otherwise, right? And that's what kind of kept me in it because it was just something that I really, really wanted to do. And, um, you know, so you start to self-create, you start to do little things. You 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 meet like-minded peers. That's a great support system if you can find people uh, who have similar situation as you. Like find uh, you know allies in that, and really just sort of they understand where you're coming from. They can give you tips. You can work together. You could do any number of things to just sort of pull you through those times. And you celebrate their successes when they get them, just like you celebrate your own. Um, and you believe in yourself. Uh, for me as well, it was all about, you know, realizing how whenever I did book work, what an amazing accomplishment that is of in itself because there's so many people auditioning for it and so many different factors that would that dictate whether you're going to get a role or not. When you actually book something, it's something to be really proud of, right? And it might be a one-liner or it might be a small principle, might be a guest star, it doesn't matter. Just booking work is a great thing. Um, and... You know, from that, it's just learning that, um, you know, to, to learn as much as you can from that experience so that you can grow as, an, as a performer, as an actor. And, uh, and it's how you treat people, too, right? Because that's yourself. You're putting yourself out there, right? So you need to be able to present yourself in a way that people want to work with you again. You know, that, that's all part of it. Um, so I'm big on humility and, and being humble, and but doing your job and doing it well and learning as much as you can and just being kind. Um, and that's served me really, really well up until this point. And it does eventually, it gets to that point where you are, um, you know, you are the experienced actor and you've got that list of credits and it grows and grows and grows and grows and your reputation gets known. And if you're lucky enough, sometimes the right role will come along and you could just crank it right out of the park and, uh, you know, run with it. Um, so moving away from these dark times, yeah. how did Kim's Convenience come about? Let's go talk about something wow. better. <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> well, I got to tell another story to get to this story. Yeah, go for it. Um, so, yeah, you know, when I start off as an actor, a young actor out of school, you know, when you're young, everything is completely possible. You're like, you're going to take over the world. Everybody feels like that. Like, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to change the world. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to be a creator. I'm going to be an influencer. I'm going to do all these things. And then you realize that the system doesn't quite work that way, right? Like Hollywood or the media loves to portray that, you know, plucky story of somebody fresh out of school who gets discovered and like, boom, off to rockets to stardom. And um, that's very rare. That's very, it happens, but it's very rare. And a lot of people that it happens to have been groomed or they've had a lot of advantages or privileges 
to be in the right position where they know the right people or they're, you know, and it just sort of takes off from there. But again, it doesn't matter how you get that opportunity. It's what you do with it. And they've, they've run with it. So kudos to them. But not everybody gets those, uh, those opportunities initially. And for me, um, being an actor of color, it suddenly became very apparent that I wasn't really auditioning for the same kind of roles that my peers were who were non, who, who were white, basically. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you, you, you auditioned for another guest part on this? Oh, okay. And you read the breakdown. Oh, when it doesn't have any, if it doesn't have the dreaded any, open to any ethnicity, it means white. Yeah. That's basically it. Um, if there's, if it's not specifically noted, it just means white. And that's the way it was. And it's changing huge, but that's the way it was. Um, <clears throat> and it's weird because, you know, I'm raised in this country, speak, speak the language perfectly, love beer, hockey, all these different things, but still seen as an outsider. Um, and that was, that was for me, this epiphany of like, oh, okay, the color of my skin is preventing me from even being seen for even just auditioning for the part of Joe, the best friend or this or that. And that was a tough pill to swallow. And, you know, bitterness creeps in and I've seen it destroy certain actors and consume them. Uh, I myself went down that fiery road for quite a while until I realized that it was really counterproductive. You know, um, it feels good to rail against something, to rage and to point out how unfair it is and like to try to rally everybody around it. But at the end of the day, if all you do is complain and you don't do anything about it, if you're not proactive in how you treat it, and what you're doing to it, and all you're doing is just yelling about it, it's it's self-defeating, right? You just, after a while, people tune out. You don't make any difference, any change. And I came to that realization that I was hurting myself more than anything, that everybody knew about it, screaming about it, and like made me feel better for five seconds, but it wasn't changing the circumstances. Um, in my mind, like in my mind, it was like, okay, well, I'm never going to be a lead in a TV show. I'm never going to be a lead in a movie um, or even maybe even a supporting character. What am I going to do? I still love acting with this theater, which is great. But even then, I'm not going to be a lead in a theater production. I'm not, you know, but I want to act. So what do you do? What do you do? Well, the parts that you do get, you'd be excellent at. So for film and TV, I was like, well, I could be a character actor. I could be this guy that is so good at what he does. He's in all these movies, and you might not recognize him right away, but you're like, fuck, what do I know him from? Oh, he was in that movie. Oh, he's in this movie too? Holy shit. And that's, I love those guys. Those those bread and butter guys that were just so good at their craft. Small parts. But the thing is, they all have become big parts. Like, I used to love, like, watching Paul Giamatti. Like, if you watch his stuff, his early stuff, same with William H. Macy. Yeah, white actors, too, right? Like, these guys, and that's funny because you don't get a sense of, um, there were never any real Asian examples for me to sort of follow in terms of character actors. There there are a few, like James Hong and stuff, but they were way older. um, And they were playing kind of the same kind of roles. But, you know, I, I just sort of saw these other guys as more relatable. And uh, I love the work that they were doing. They're always uniformly excellent. And I thought, I could be a character actor. I'm going to go in. I'm going to be excellent at these parts. And so it's great because it's very liberating. And you start to hone your craft, right? And you start to just really learn how to be more flexible. And um, you know, my specialty <laughs> was exposition. Mm-hmm. If you look at my resume... He's like, oh, he's got like 40 credits or something. Yeah, you look at that, like 46 of them are day players. I'm in for a day. A writer has written themselves into the corner. And they're like, oh, 
we need a way to figure out how to explain all this shit to the audience really fast with a disposable character. Enter me. I would come in, drop a shit ton of exposition. I would disappear, right? So I be I played a lot of doctors, a lot of lawyers, a lot of engineers. So mom, dad, I did it. Um, but that's that's what it was, and I was like not real. I wasn't a real person. I was just like I would like Deus Ex Machina, God from a machine. It's like here, barf out all this information, utterly disposable. But go. But I learned by watching other actors too, right? Like I'd be called in for the day, and I'd have my one little bit. But I would observe everybody and learn and. You know, if 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 the cast, the other members in the, uh, of the cast were open to it, you know, and approachable, just ask them about the craft. Just talk shop a little bit. Not be hyper intense about it. It's like, yeah, hey, or be a keener, but just watch and observe. And how, not only how they performed, but how they treated the crew, how they treated each other. Um, and that's, that's the amazing thing. And I think a lot of young actors sometimes forget about that. They go, I made it to set, which is awesome. Learn every moment, and you learn by watching how you conduct yourself and how people conduct themselves. And I saw really great examples, and I saw really poor examples. And I made up my mind that I'm not going to be like that person. I'm not going to behave the way they've been acting. Um, and uh, always that feeling of jealousy, because when you're stepping onto a series, for example, they've they've been working together for months, and you're kind of like the new kid, you're like new the foreign exchange student comes in, and everybody's nice to you, but nobody really knows you, and nobody really has a lot of time for you because they're busy doing their own thing, right? Um, and so I know it's tough to step on a set. So for the set of Kim's, for example, I, I make sure it's like you are welcome. Like we will hang with you. Come on, what do you want? Like let's let's involve you, and it brings out the best in everybody. When you feel like you've been accepted and you're part of a group, if you, you just want to do more, like you know, I'm going to make sure that you you're happy that you. You know, you spent time with me, um, which is totally sidetracking because the question you're asking is about Kim's convenience. I'm no sorry. worries. But so, so before we go yeah, to Kim's convenience, we're out of tape. No, no, we no. filled up the hard drive, right? <laughs> we had like six terabytes, and this asshole kept talking and no, talking and talking. Um, it's it's interesting that you talk about that how you your niche was that character actor. Yeah. Because I was actually attending a panel with uh, Simu Liu, mm. who plays Jung on Kim's Convenience. He does. <laughs> he he was saying that if I think during this time there was an explosion of you know demand for Asian actors, and he said that if on one hand there is the discrimination against Asian actors, but he felt that because there was like a sudden demand, he, he felt that that's what distinguished him from a lot of different actors. He thought that like from what I gathered in his you know, speech, he was mm-hmm. saying that. If he wasn't Asian, he wouldn't have gotten to where he is right now, because he's an actor that's like only like only started like I think like in the two thousand tens. Yeah, right? I know he's he's yeah, a very, young actor still. Very yeah. young actor, so I think it's like that's a very interesting dichotomy. Like, what do you think of that kind of? Well, no, I mean it's it's funny because I think that's that's a natural byproduct of. I remember Amanda Bruegel was telling me a story about how there was a, a panel about Black Panther and how it was impacting the the, the black arts community. And a very young actor stood up and said, well, don't you think, think this is just a trend and that there's just pandering? And what, if you're an actor of a certain age who's been slugging it out for years, decades, and you find there's finally been a breakthrough, and now there's a demand, and then somebody who's been in the business for five whole minutes starts railing about, oh... You know, yeah, but it's just being trendy. It doesn't. It's like, how can you, how can you bother even think about taking these types of roles? It's heartbreaking, and it just 
you grind your teeth because it's like you do not know what it was like to be part of this industry where you're always invisible or always a token character or a stereotypical character or a caricature. You weren't even real. You have no idea how difficult it was. So, and it goes back to, it doesn't matter how it happened. It's what you do with it now that it has happened. And that's the biggest thing because I, I always say this too, you know, as actors of color, especially Asian actors of color, because um, the, the stigma has always been Asians can't act. They're really bad, you know? Well, okay. You could argue that. Sure. How much experience have they had in terms of actually acting? What kind of roles were written for them? What kind of direction were they given? Who's telling the story? How many ways were they set up to fail? Which is rampant, rampant. And so I always say to actors of color, especially Asian actors, you know, we get so few opportunities to succeed. We get even less opportunities to fail. So if you get a chance and you shit the bed or you're not, you don't hit out of the ballpark, right? You can't act. Eh, we tried. See, and it's not fair. I get it's so not fair that I'm first to agree with you, but it's incumbent on us to be ready, right? I always say, work your ass off. Do your homework. Be rested. Get off book. Show up. Know your lines. Nobody waits for you. And be so excellent that people cannot ignore you. And that's how you got to push through. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's this whole, like, you know, so what do you want? Do you want diversity? Do you want this inclusivity? Like, do you want this or not? Because if you want to go back to no roles, just white people, right? And we'll just keep it as homogeneous. It'll be like the Swedish all-star team up there again. By all means, let's see how happy you are when it's not trendy. Uh, and so it's it's that whole thing. So it, it's like not, to, uh, and I'm maybe I'm misinterpreting what you, uh, Simu was saying, but I, I sort of hear what he's saying too. But it's like, yeah, maybe, you know, yeah, for sure. 10, 15 years ago, he wouldn't have gotten these roles. He would not, because they wouldn't have been written for him, right? But it's the fact that it's happened now is great. And yeah. I think, and I think Simu knows that. He knows, and he's, you know, he you grab these opportunities, and we all are aware of the fact that, that's that's the business that we're in. Things trend, right? How many volcano movies were there in the 1990s? How many asteroid movies? Plumbing, like it's all these things that, that are really trendy, and then yeah. they fall out of favor. Our our goal is, yeah, maybe an all Asian cast, an all Asian story might yeah. be trendy right yeah. now, but what we can do is showcase the tremendous amount of talent in that community so that they are considered more. Because that's the other thing too. I don't want to be in just Asian themed movies or shows i don't want to do that mm -hmm. that's great and these stories need to be told for sure but i don't put me in a box either because that's just as bad say for sure yeah but you're just gonna do the asian stuff paul you just do the asian stuff it's like no 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 no. i i'm an i'm an award-winning actor yeah i can do more i could be on your show and not have to worry about talking about my ethnicity i can just act and be a character that's the utopia. That's what we're aiming for. We want that. Well, I mean, you want the award for best lead actor, not best lead Asian actor. Well, right? There you go. Yeah, <laughs> see, and that's, <laughs> that's the thing. And that was for Kim's. We don't want Kim's to be the best Asian Canadian comedy. We just want it to be the best Canadian comedy and then best comedy. That's 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 the goal, right? Yeah. So we're not stigmatized. There's not a little asterisk beside, uh, you know, the, the win or anything like that. Thank you.
That was part one of my conversation with Paul. We had so much fun recording, we couldn't fit it all in one episode. So, you can listen to the rest of the conversation in the next episode, where we talk about Kim's convenience and what's next in Paul's career. Kim's Convenience Season 3 premieres on January 8th. Postacold Chronicles is hosted and produced by me, Matt Bach. Alice Coombs was the co-producer for this episode. Our staff includes Kasun Medigadera and Rostislav Soroka. Special thanks to Colleen Lukes at Meridian Artists. Our main theme song is called Last Energy for the Day by Loyalty Freak Music, and there are other music credits on our website. If you like what you heard today, follow us on social media and subscribe. Thank you for listening. We will see you soon.